The West. Western world. Western civilization. Western culture. We hear about the West all the time. What is it, though? Who is it? When one thinks about civilizations, you think about ancient Egypt, Rome, the Greek states, Mesopotamia, Iran, Persia, India, China, the Maya, the Aztecs, Korea, Japan. But no one ever considered a civilization called the West. Yet it comes up in news stories, videos, and various other outlets. The objective of this episode is to nail down the who and the what of Western civilization. Let's start with what we mean by civilized. Well, first, it needs to be a complex society. What is a complex society, you may ask? Well, it has four components. One, a state with a large population wherein its economy is structured according to specialization and a division of labor. These economic features spawn a bureaucratic class and institutionalize inequality. Yes, inequality. Two, archaeologically, features such as big architectural projects are prescribed in a complex society. And number three, large-scale agricultural development, which allows members of society time for specialized skill sets. And number four, an organized political structure. Other characteristics of civilization include things like urban development, social stratification, a form of government, and symbolic systems of communication and so on and so forth. That begs the question, what then is the West? In all intents and purposes, it's simply not the East. It is also not the North or the South. Confusingly, since the planet is round, there is always a West, no matter where you are on the planet. Japan is to the West of Mexico. Turkey is to the West of Japan. Brazil is to the West of Turkey. New Zealand is to the West of Brazil. And you can keep going in circles. That is until you flatten the planet, give it clear edges, and then put the Americas to the far left and Japan and New Zealand to the far right. In the middle of the flat Earth will be Europe and Africa. When you do this, you will see a Western Hemisphere to the left of the map. In this haphazard geographic term, the Western bit of Europe also somehow detaches itself and joins the Western Hemisphere. Still, it's not that simple. If it were that simple, this podcast would be over by now. Instead, we must contend with not the geographic definition of the West, but a political, cultural and historical one. Let's start at the beginning. 476 AD, to be precise. What happens in that year is that the Western Roman Empire collapses. The Eastern Roman Empire, run from Constantinople and consisting of the Balkans, Greece, Turkey, the Middle East, Egypt and modern Libya, remains and survives. When the Roman Empire in the West collapsed, the area it occupied fell into barbarian hands. This included places such as modern Britain, France, Spain, Morocco, Tunisia, Italy, bits of modern Germany, Austria and Switzerland. In addition, when the Roman Empire in the West fell, it also broke its tradition of being part of this otherwise vast empire that stretched from the Scottish borders 
to Egypt and from Jordan to Morocco. The broken West started afresh and went into what historians call the Dark Ages of Europe. Then these regions went into the Middle Ages. Then the regions went from the Middle Ages to the Modern Ages, essentially today. What also defined the western side of the empire versus the eastern side was the nature of Christianity. This is important. The Roman Emperor Constantine I, or Constantine the Great, force-fed Christianity into the empire after 306 AD, once he became Augustus. The churches of Antioch, Alexandria, Constantinople and Rome were the main centres of Christianity in the empire after Constantine turned the empire Christian. However, theological and ideological differences persisted between the different sects as soon as they were allowed to openly preach. Eventually, Antioch fell to the Arabs, as did Alexandria, leaving Rome and Constantinople as centres of Christianity. Rome became the centre of the Western Church, while in the East, Constantinople became the centre of the Eastern Church. These days we term Eastern Christianity as Orthodox, while Western Christianity as Latin or Roman Catholicism. Then, in 1453, Constantinople itself fell, this time to the Turks, forcing the centre of Orthodox or Eastern Christianity to move its global headquarters, just to say, to Russia, Kiev, Moscow, and then St. Petersburg. Now I'm getting a little carried away. Let's go back. Back to the year 1054. In that year, we saw what became known as the Great Schism. In short, a rift between the Church of Rome and the Church at Constantinople. The Schism was the culmination of theological and political differences which had developed during the preceding centuries between the Eastern and the Western bits of Christianity, meaning between the Western Pope and the Eastern Patriarch. Critical issues, like procession of the Holy Spirit, whether the leavened or unleavened bread should be used in the Eucharist, the Bishop of Rome's claim to the universal authority, and the place of the See of Constantinople, etc., were all serious counts of disagreement. Keep in mind that about a hundred or so years after the fall of the Western Roman Empire, the Eastern Empire moved from speaking Latin as its lingua franca to speaking Greek. Not unusual since Greek was always a Roman language embedded in its empire, linguistically and culturally, and that the seat of power was in the Greek heartland of Constantinople. Listeners should also note that the Eastern Roman Empire in Western history books is often referred to as the Byzantine Empire to distinguish it, i.e. Greek Romans, from Latin-speaking Romans. Then, in 1053, the first step in the process which led to the formal schism was taken. The Greek churches in southern Italy were forced to conform to Latin practices, and if any of them did not, they were forced to close. In retaliation, the Patriarch at Constantinople, Michael I, ordered the closure of all Latin churches in Constantinople. In 1054, the papal legate sent by Leo IX travelled to Constantinople for purposes that including refusing the Patriarch the title of Patriarch and insisting that he recognise the Pope's claim to be the head of all churches including his. 
While the legates were dithering in Constantinople, the underlying main purpose, bizarrely, of the papal team was to seek help from the emperor in Constantinople in view of the Norman conquest of southern Italy and deal with recent attacks by one Leo of Orid. To complicate matters while the papal legates were at Constantinople, the Pope, Leo IX, died. During the leadership vacuum, the legates then took it upon themselves to excommunicate the patriarch, and therefore the split set in. The church split along doctrinal, theological, linguistic, political, and geographical lines, and the breach has never really been healed, to this day in fact, with each side sometimes accusing the other of failing and falling into heresy and initiating the division themselves. Before anyone could blink after the schism, we had the minor incident of the Crusades. No, not one crusade, nope. Nine big ones and seven smaller ones, starting in 1096 with the last one about 200 years later. Initially, the Easterners and the Westerners cooperated, but increasingly the Latin Crusaders became a nuisance to the Eastern Church and Emperors. Case in point was the Fourth Crusade, 1202-1204. The stated intent of the expedition was to recapture the Muslim-controlled city of Jerusalem by first conquering the powerful Egyptian Sultanate, the strongest Muslim state at the time. However, a sequence of economic and political events resulted in the Crusader armies 1204, wait for it, sacked of Constantinople. The Crusaders sacked Constantinople for three days, during which many ancient Greco-Roman and medieval Byzantine works of art were stolen or ruined. Many of the civilian population of the city were killed and their property looted. Despite the threat of excommunication, the Crusaders destroyed, defiled and looted the city's churches and monasteries. It was a disaster. Historian Serpros Vionis said, and I quote, The Latin soldiery subjected the greatest city in Europe to an indescribable sack. For three days they murdered, raped, looted and destroyed on a scale which even the ancient Vandals and Goths would have found unbelievable. Constantinople had become a museum of ancient art, an emporium of such incredible wealth that the Latins were astounded at the riches they found. Though the Venetians had an appreciation for the art, which they discovered, and they themselves were semi-Byzantine and saved much of it, the French and others destroyed indiscriminately, halting to refresh themselves with wine, violation of nuns, and murder of orthodox clerics. The Crusaders vented their hatred for the Greeks, most spectacularly in the discretion of the greatest church in Christendom. They smashed the silver, the icons, and the holy books of the Hagia Sophia." End quote. After the sacking, the Latins established their own empire and a bunch of also-run crusader states in modern-day Lebanon, Syria and Israel. Eventually, the Roman emperor returned 50 or so years later. However, that sacking diminished the city so much and the empire so much that this one activity can be traced back to the start of the eventual fall of the Roman Byzantines in 1453 AD at the hands of the Turks. The very act the Crusades were supposed to prevent, they ultimately originated. Oh, the irony. 
The Easterners were not without blood on their hands either. The massacre of the Latins was a large-scale massacre of the Roman Catholic inhabitants of Constantinople, sometimes known as mass murder. Although precise numbers are unavailable, the bulk of the Latin community was wiped out of force to flee. Two years later, in 1182, was the Latin sack of Thessalonica. Well, that was one of the worst events in all Roman Byzantine history. And 20 years after that was the infamous Fourth Crusade. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Then, in 1453, Constantinople fell to the Muslim Turks. The centre of Orthodox Christianity moved from the Greek regions to the Russian regions. What this should tell you is that the East and the West were established pretty early on. And Orthodox Roman Byzantium was never really considered a part and parcel of Latin Christianity. The Reconquest was a period in the history of the Iberian Peninsula of about 780 years, from the Umanide Conquest of Hispania in 711, the expansion of the Christian kingdoms throughout Hispania, and then the ultimate fall of the Muslim kingdoms of Grenada in 1492. After 1492, the entire peninsula was controlled again by Christian rulers. The conquest was followed by a series of edicts between 1499 and 1526, which forced the conversions of Muslims in Spain to Christianity. This holy war didn't end with the reconquest of Spain and Portugal. The year 1492 is also important as the year the reconquest come crusade moved west across the Atlantic Ocean to the Americas. Now that we're in Western Europe, let's spend a few minutes here to define what we mean by the Western part of Europe. Italy, yes. France, yes. Spain, yes. Portugal, yes. Britain, England, yes. Eventually, the Viking invaders and Germanic tribes, such as the Angles, Saxons, Franks, and so on, fought, intermingled, intermarried, etc., but joined the Church of Rome and became Christians, Latin Christianity. The Latin language was a lingua franca of the Catholic Church and its clergy. That was all until the Protestant Reformation. This was a major movement within Western Christianity in the 16th century that posed, that posed sorry, a religious and political challenge to the Catholic Church, and in particular to papal authority, arising from what were perceived to be errors, abuses, and discrepancies by that Catholic Church. The Reformation was the start of Protestantism and the split of the Western Church into Protestantism and now what we call the Roman Catholic Church. The Reformation is usually considered to have started with the publication of the 95 Theses by Martin Luther in 1517. There was no schism between the Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church until 1521, Edict of Worms. The Edict condemned Luther and officially banned citizens of the Holy Roman Empire from defending or propagating his ideas. The Holy Roman Empire is where he was from. Thus, a particularly important development in the creation of the West was taking place, i.e. breaking with the Church of Rome, breaking 
with the Catholic Church. And then came the Renaissance. The basis of the Renaissance was its version of humanism and the discovery, yes, rediscovery probably, of classical Greek philosophy. This new thinking became manifest in art, architecture, politics, science and literature. To recap, Western civilization is manifesting itself in Northern, Western and Northwestern Europe, leaving Catholic Christianity behind. The Age of Enlightenment, also known as the Age of Reason, was an intellectual and philosophical movement that dominated the world of ideas in Europe during the 17th and 18th centuries. The Enlightenment included a range of ideas centered on the pursuit of happiness, sovereignty of reason, and the evidence of the senses as primary sources of knowledge and advanced ideals, such as liberty, progress, toleration, fraternity, constitutional government, and the separation of church and state. Sound familiar? It should. The age is also associated with what some call the scientific revolution. The age is often considered the origins of Western thought, of Western philosophy, starting with Englishman Francis Bacon. The scientific revolution was the emergence of modern science during the early modern period of Western Europe, when development in things like mathematics, physics, astronomy, biology, including human autonomy, and chemistry transformed the views of Western European society about nature. In much of the rest of the world, be it China, Middle East, India, Africa, these thoughts were always ongoing. But it was new for Europe. And more importantly, the science and maths gave Protestants a leg up in the great game versus the Catholics, putting them, i.e. the Protestants, first at par with the rest of the world, and then allowing them to zoom ahead of the rest of the world, led by the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution began in Great Britain, and many of the technological innovations were of British origin. By the mid-18th century, Britain was the world's leading commercial nation controlling a global trading empire with colonies in North America and the Caribbean, with major military and political hegemony on the Indian subcontinent and elsewhere. While all this was going on, three important individuals wrote three important books that defined this era and the centuries after it. Number one, Charles Darwin on evolution. Go to my episode 15 of this podcast to learn more. Number two, Karl Marx on communism. Find my episode nine. Number three, Adam Smith on capitalism. Again, go to episode nine. Mixed into this heap of capitalism, communism and evolution is liberal democracy a political ideology and a form of government in which representative democracy operates under a principle of liberalism. It is characterized by things like elections between multiple distinct political parties, a separation of powers into different branches of government, the rule of law in everyday life as part of an open society, a market economy with private property, and the equal protection of human rights, civil rights, civil liberties, and political freedoms of all peoples. People who associate themselves with the West often look back to ancient Rome and ancient Greece, not Catholic Rome or even Orthodox Crete. 
Greece. But before that, to the ancient times, Western societies often emulate Roman building styles and Roman Greek naming conventions for governance, things like senators and dictators. Just as a side note, the term Judeo-Christian was not a much-used naming convention until much recently, i.e. post-World War II. Before that, no one really used the term Judeo before Christian. The Christians actually persecuted the Jews for centuries. As Marx, Darwin and Adam Smith were getting going, so were the Western European colonialists. North America, Africa, the Caribbean, Asia, Australia was all part of a supposed age of exploration. These ideas then got injected into those regions. Geographies like India, Singapore clearly have Western British influence, but the cultural export from Britain got consumed into the larger native culture. It was only in modern Australia, New Zealand, Canada and the United States where local populations were sparse, landmass was plentiful and native subjugation possible that true westernization crept in outside of Europe. Of course, the rest of the Americas had a similar story, but Catholics are not core members of Western civilization. The year is 1949. By now, the Orthodox have become communists and had been communists for a good three decades, Russia, the USSR, and taken over a chunk of Catholic Eastern Europe in the process. The East. The Communist East. While the West remained on the side of the Iron Curtain, Southern Catholic Europe remained something of a mess, and battleground for East and West became hot. Or cold, as in the Cold War. The Cold War era, West, is the West we all now think of as the West, Civilizationally Protestant and Christian with ethnic stock of Norse, Germanic, White and Christian English speaking. So, geographically Western and Northern Europe, the USA, Canada, Australia and New Zealand come into this mix. Westerners often ascribe to themselves three additional terms. Number one, the civilized world. Number two, the first world. And number three, the international community. Let's take each one in turn. First, the civilized world. Many Westerners consider themselves culturally smarter because they follow the traits of reason, capitalism, and science that came out of Protestant traditions. And so should others follow this too. To be civilized, of course, ideals such as we're not like that, or we're better than that, or we'll stick to our ideals, or we follow the rule of law, etc., are often mantras of liberal elites in these countries propagating their liberal philosophies. Number two, the first world. The second world was the old communist East. The third world was the rest of the planet. The second world vanished in 1991, leaving just two worlds, first wealthy and third poor. Even though some started in the third world and then moved to honorary positions in the first world, such as South Korea and Japan, they are there for honorary positions only. Number three, the international community. This 
is the EU, led by France and Germany, the UK, Canada, New Zealand and Australia, with muscle power provided by the United States. Although it sounds like a small fuzzy group of individuals, the international community has no Angola, no Jamaica and certainly no North Korea, among others. Entry to the club is technical. The Frank Repression Empire, often known as the European Union, contains some people out from outside the international community, i.e. Greeks, Poles, Hungarians, etc. Domestication of these said peoples is still a work in progress. At times, countries heavily occupied by the US dip in and out of the international community. That includes countries like Japan and South Korea. But is the West really a civilization? I'm going to say, grudgingly, yes, it is. To be close to the truth, whatever truth is, it is a Western European civilization, Norse, Germanic, with a hint of Celtic, who look to the old Romans and classical Greeks for some much-needed ancient cultural continuity, and that must have Protestant Christian tradition. Languages can come in many guises, but must have Indo-European undertones, borrowing heavily from Greek, Latin, English, Germanic, Norse, Norman, French, and so on. Over the years, all of these got intertwined anyway. The crazy thing is, Greece was never and is not Western, not even close. Rome has some claims to Western Christendom and thus civilization. But the modern West is Protestant, not Catholic. And the most glaring of them all, Christianity itself, is an Eastern belief system from Asia, imported, repackaged, and preached to the masses. According to historian Niall Ferguson, the West developed six killer apps, competition, science, democracy, medicine, consumerism, and the Protestant work ethic. I disagree with that. I'd actually state that the West developed one killer app, consumerism, and that too after the 1960s. Without competition and survival in competitive environments, no society could survive. Western, Northern, Southern, anything. Medicine and science was not invented by the West. It was added to by the West as part of broad human evolution throughout the planet. A number of medicines developed by Big Pharma is synthetic, whereas humans traditionally built on natural remedies. So Big Pharma is 100% a Western invention. Democracy was there in Greece, but that's something that was adopted by the West. No, Greece isn't Western, unless you need to borrow democracy. A few thinkers and a boatload of ancient civilization. Oh, and proto-democratic societies existed in India and Mesopotamia. I can't challenge that Protestant work ethic. It's that 95, the work hard and play hard model. Christianity, of course, was an ancient belief system, but the work ethic of factory to pub is uniquely Protestant. So there you have it, the West, Western civilization. If you're living in North America, Western Europe, or Australasia, you know the West intimately. You're part of the international community. 
You're in the first world and are very civilized. You stop at red traffic lights even when no one else is there. That is a rule of law and you follow it. If you're on the outside looking in, then Westerners assume you want to get in on the state benefit system. The aid to keep you out isn't working well enough. Maybe you do. Maybe you do not want to come in. But in 2021, you cannot escape its influence. I do believe one thing, though. Western countries, like so many non-Western ones, are delightful places to live and raise a family. So many things work right. You have broad freedoms within the law. You have law and broad freedoms. If you're in a Western country already, what is ebbing away at your civilization? Well, there are three things. One, mass migration of non-Westerners into Western countries who then, and this is the important bit, ditch Western traditions. Think of Syrians in Europe, Asians in Canada and Australia, Spanish-speaking Catholics into the US. Two, the rise of non-Western civilizations. Think China or Russia as direct and present danger to Western hegemony. They're not Western culturally or ever otherwise. Remember, the West has had a near free ride in world domination since the early to mid-1700s, bar the 1900s World Wars and the Cold War. Number three, adoption of foreign ideas not traditionally Western. Think Catholic or Orthodox Christianity, other religions, even yoga, non-traditional foods, As societies get more mixed up, old traditions become new ones. The various countries of the first world then mark their their own parts, causing fragmentation. Canada, for example, becomes more Asian, while the US becomes more Latin American, for example. But all of that is a long, long way away. Globalization, digitization, technology, and all of these things that have grown and grown over the last several decades is ebbing away at not just Western culture, but every culture. It's taken every culture around the planet, put it into a cauldron, thrown some spices into it, mix it up, and let it explode. Every culture, including Western culture, feels its superiority. Every culture, including Western culture, has its downsides. Every culture, including Western culture, has its amazing points. Western culture is highly attractive to a lot of people. There are millions of people who would love to live and work in the West. Likewise, there are millions of people who would like to get out of the West and live elsewhere. You have been listening to an Alternative History Podcast. Please like, comment on, and share the podcast on a platform of your choice. Thank you so much. Thank you.